Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Hi everybody, welcome to Sands Through the Hourglass, a Days of Our Lives recap podcast. I'm your host Tommy, and what we're going to be doing on this podcast is I'm going to watch classic episodes of Days of Our Lives, and then we're going to recap, discuss, and kind of give my insights on what's happening on the show at the moment. So the first episode that I watched aired on July 7th, 1992 which was pretty much almost 25 years ago to this date. We're a few weeks shy of it. I looked up who the head writer was at the time, and I thought it was going to be James E. Riley, but it turns out it was solely Sherry Anderson at the time, which is ironic because I believe she's back at Days right now, not as head writer, but I think as a consultant, which... I think it's pretty cool because we're starting at a place where she was the head writer and it kind of feels like we're coming a little bit full circle here. So the episode opens up in Salem Place, which is a mall that's set outside, kind of like Horton Town Square is, except this is actually outside. And I love this set so much. I don't know if this is how it actually looks at the studio or if they just dressed up the parking lot all the time but I used to love the set it always gave the show this sense of realness and the sense of it being an actual town and I really really miss this set it was hugely popular and used a lot when I started watching the show back in 2000 and I think it kind of disappeared around 2002 2003 and I really wish they would bring it back because Horton Town Square doesn't compare to this. It turns out this is actually the grand opening of Salem Place, so this is the first time we're seeing this set used on the show. And we have Jack Devereaux, which is a favorite of mine and is hugely popular with the fans. He's one half of the popular super couple Jack and Jennifer, for those of you who didn't know. Jack is walking around Salem Place, interviewing the patrons about the grand opening of the mall, and he's basically asking them, you know, where they're going, what they're shopping for, what they think of the mall, and he seems so disinterested in this that it's not even funny. The actor, Matt Ashford, has the best facial expressions, and I think that is why he was so popular with fans. Because he's just so funny. The emotions and the disdain he can show with just a look on his face is incredible. Jack is eventually approached by a woman who I assume is his boss or she's his superior in some way. And I'm not really sure if he's working for the paper or if he's working for a TV studio because she kind of implied that wherever they work, was looking into doing some kind of a reality show. And Jack is not interested in this, doesn't want to do it. He is happy just doing this mediocre story about the mall because he's trying to 
stay safe. I believe Jennifer is pregnant at this time. So I think he's just trying to bring in money that they need for their baby that's coming. And, you know, not really ruffle any feathers. We next open at a penthouse, which looks like an 80s version of what will become Marlena's penthouse in the mid-90s. And I think at some point it was Julie's penthouse. It might even still be Julie's penthouse. I'm not really sure. But the character walking down the stairs, her name is Molly. I'm not really familiar with this character, but I know she might have been part of a popular teen couple. But anyway, she's walking down the stairs and she kind of stops and starts daydreaming. And it's actually a day nightmare because she's thinking about being attacked by an older gentleman at the penthouse. And she kind of snaps out of it when the phone rings. She answers it and it's this guy Tanner. I think he might be her boyfriend or maybe they're kind of, you know, they know that they like each other, but they're not really moving forward. I'm not really sure how that situation's going at this moment, but he can tell that she's upset and he tells her he's, he's going to come over and he does. And they talk about her being attacked by this older man. I'm not really sure if he raped her or attempted to rape her or if he just touched her inappropriately but I believe he's a professor at the college and maybe she was looking for extra help and he kind of took it one step too far thinking oh if you want my help you know you have to sleep with me I'm not really clear on the details of that storyline so from the way that Tanner is reacting, I'm assuming that he knows what happened or he kind of has an idea by the fact that she's so upset about it. And he's kind of pressing her to press charges and kind of move forward with accusing this man of whatever he did to her. And she's kind of, you know, thinking maybe I should just let it go. And Tanner won't drop the issue. He kind of implies that maybe his mother went through something similar and she never talked about it and that kind of led to her downfall or her death. I'm not really clear on that yet. There's a lot about this whole situation that I'm very confused about because like I said I don't really know these characters. They are probably not on the show for very long if I'm thinking correctly about this. But anyway we'll move on. We cut to Carrie's apartment, where she is in the bathroom, kind of fighting with her roommate for the bathroom, and they're both late for work, and they kind of get into a shaving cream fight, and they're both spraying each other, and they're kind of having a good time, and this apartment gets used a lot throughout the 90s. I think many of the 20-somethings kind of move in and out of this apartment, but for right now, it's Carrie's apartment, Carrie Brady and her roommate Jesse and I don't know Jesse he must have been a teen character in the early 90s but I don't think he was ever on the show when I was watching but anyway so they're having a shaving cream fight and Roman Brady walks in and is kind of like what's going on here and they both are just kind of like hi dad and I want to note that Roman Brady at this point is being played by Wayne Northrup, and 
I never knew him as Roman. The Roman that I know is the current Roman who has been on the show for probably about 20 years at this point. And I've always read online that fans aren't really happy with the current Roman. They always think of Wayne Northrop as Roman, and I could never understand why. But I get it now. When characters get recast, you know, fans who saw the original kind of have a hard time adapting to a newer actor in the role. And they kind of hold on to that memory of who originally played it. And I get that because I feel the same way about certain characters even today. So I understand the whole Roman situation at this point. And uh, speaking of recast, I want to note here that Carrie Brady isn't being played by Christy Clark, which is the actress that I think most fans kind of associate with the role. She's being played by an actress named Tracy Mittendorf. I think that's how you say the name. And she's a pretty good actress. I've seen her in things throughout the 90s. She's been on shows like 90210, kind of made guest appearances here and there, done a few TV movies, and she's still working today. I think I most recently saw her in the TV version of Scream, playing a mom. But yeah, she's a pretty good actress, and it was interesting to see her take on the role of Carrie Brady. So Roman gives Carrie a little bit of shit for not having the door locked. He doesn't seem to really care that they were having a shaving cream fight. You know, what does he care? Kids will be kids. But he kind of gives the impression that he's having a hard time accepting that Carrie is all grown up, that she has own, her own place, and he just kind of is stopping by to check on her and make sure that she's doing okay. He kind of also implies with a facial expression that he's not thrilled with the fact that she's living with a guy but he's kind of biting his tongue because he's trying to keep things smooth between them and he offers to drive her and jesse to work so i'm assuming her and jesse work at the same place which is a fact that we actually find out later we then cut to a store in the mall called ballistics and this is the store that jesse and carrie are going to be working at and there's these three saleswomen. Um, I think two of them are saleswomen and one is the store manager. And the one that's the store manager gives me a 20-something Delta Burke vibe. She has the hair, the business suit jacket. She looks like something out of Designing Women. It seems like these three are very clicky and they don't really like Carrie too much and the two sales girls are way too happy to kind of bring to light that Carrie is late to work on her first day. Carrie shows up and she's kind of given a little bit of shit by the store manager and she's kind of banished to folding and stocking and Carrie is not happy about that because I never I've never worked in retail but from what I gather it's more lucrative to be a salesperson because I believe they get a cut of the commission if they make a sale. So Carrie is already messing up at work on her first day and she kind of needs the money to pay for that nice apartment she shares with Jesse. So Jack is still making his way through Salem Place and he wanders into ballistics and asks the sales girls if they would get together for a group photo to be printed in the paper. Jesse sees this, and he forces Carrie into the picture, much to the dismay of her co-workers, 
And Jack kind of tries to push Jesse out of the photo, but he weasels himself into the photo in the background. A little later on, Tanner comes to Ballistics to have a little chat with Carrie, and he asks her if it's possible for her to call up Molly, maybe get together, and just kind of be there for her, see if she needs anybody to talk to. I don't believe Carrie's aware of the situation that's going on, and she kind of thinks it's weird that Tanner's asking her to do this, but from the looks of it, it seems like they're good friends, and she's willing to do him a favor by getting to know Molly a little bit and being there for her. Meanwhile, the bitchy sales girls that don't like Carrie see Tanner, and they think he's really cute, and they make plans to go out later that evening to Wings, which is a restaurant that I believe Julie owns in Salem. They make note that Tanner works there and that they'll get to maybe get to know him a little bit better if they go there that evening. So Jesse overhears this and they seem to like Jesse, which is odd considering Jesse is roommates with Carrie, but they invite him along and he says he will go. It sounds like a good time and says he'll invite Carrie and they're not really happy about that, but they're like, sure, she can come if you think she'll have a good time. And once Jesse walks away, one of the girls says that they noticed Carrie was talking to Tanner, and maybe if she comes along, that'll get them closer to Tanner. So they agree to let Carrie go because they think that they'll be able to use her, basically, to worm their way into Tanner's good graces. Meanwhile, Jack is walking through Salem Place, and he runs into a character named Marcus. Now, I know he was a regular on the show from, like, the late 80s to around this time. I think he's a doctor at University Hospital. I'm not really sure about that. And they get to chit-chatting about the mall a little bit, and Jack is complaining about his boss and this assignment that she wants him to do. And... Jack kind of gets this bright idea that maybe Marcus should go on a date with this woman. And Marcus is kind of like, I don't know about this. Like, what would we even have in common? And he actually kind of makes a comment to Jack stating she's black, isn't she? And if you don't know who Marcus is, he is black, by the way. But he's just kidding with Jack and... I'm not sure if he actually agrees to go on this date. He kind of blows Jack off. And at some point, Jack has a change of heart about this assignment. And he goes storming into the police station where Roman is talking to his superior or his boss. I don't know what this woman is to Jack, but the woman that works at the the newspaper. So the woman was basically pitching this reality show to Roman where one of her reporters would be going on a ride along with one of his officers on one of their stakeouts. And Jack says that he's the perfect man for the job and Roman kind of is skeptical about Jack being involved in this and he basically leaves it for this, this storyline anyway, for this episode, telling Jack, you know, what makes you think that you are the person that I should allow to go on this mission. 
So back at University Hospital, Molly, it looks like, is volunteering. And she sees Dr. Tom Horton talking to the professor that she's having this issue with. And she kind of hides in the break room and listens to them talk. And from what I gathered from the conversation, it sounds like the professor is going to be involved in some charity organization at the hospital. So he's going to be spending a lot more time around young girls or young patients. And Molly doesn't seem too pleased to hear this. The episode finally wraps up with Carrie at a payphone, and she's leaving Molly a message saying she thinks that maybe they should get together for dinner tonight or whenever she's available, and that she should give her a call if she's interested. Just as she's hanging up, Jesse approaches her and tells her about the plans that the girls had made with him to go to Wings that night. And Carrie just tells him, you know, I just kind of made plans with Molly. And Jesse says, you know, you can go to dinner with Molly another night. You know, come out and hang with your coworkers. Maybe they'll lay off you if you get to know them a little bit better. And she kind of agrees. And I think she only agrees because she doesn't really know what's going on with Molly. She just thinks, you know, Tanner just wants her to be like a friend to her. Just as they're discussing this, there's a band that's setting up to play for the grand opening of Salem Place. And Carrie kind of notices that there's this cute guy that's playing the guitar. And this is the introduction of a brand new character named Austin Reed. Now, they don't say his name in this episode, but I know that it's Austin because I know the actor and I know the character. I didn't grow up seeing this actor play Austin. This is Patrick Muldoon, who obviously he originated the role. Um, He's probably most well-known for this role, and he had a season and a half-long arc on Melrose Place in the 90s, so those are probably his most well-known credits that people would know him from. And that's about it for the episode that aired on July 7th, 1992. I'm gonna take a little break, get a glass of water, watch another episode, and gonna come back and review it right on this podcast. So stay tuned after this short break. We will return for the second half of Days of Our Lives in just a moment. Okay, we're back. I just watched the episode that aired on July 8th, 1992, and I realized that watching this episode, I may have missed some scenes that were in the previous episode. I looked at the length of the previous episode, and it seems that it wasn't a complete episode. We open with Carrie taking out her garbage, and she runs into Austin, who is shirtless, by the way, in the hallway, and apparently in the previous episode, he had came into ballistics looking for a t-shirt, and this is when she originally met him. He apparently took off his shirt in the middle of the store, which made all of her co-workers kind of swoon over him, and he tried on the shirt that he wanted to purchase. And then later on is when Carrie saw him performing at Salem Place. Carrie is totally into him, and she kind of makes a comment about it must be really hard living with a roommate that plays obnoxious music. 
and he says to her he doesn't have a roommate and he's the one that's been playing the music she's totally embarrassed she doesn't know how to retract what she just said and she kind of like fumbles over her words is a little bit flustered totally embarrassed totally into him and she says you know now that i think about it it's actually kind of nice and you should play as much as you want they say their goodbyes and when carrie's in her apartment jesse is telling her that she should get ready because they have dinner plans with the girls from work and she kind of is oblivious and says she doesn't really feel like going she kind of has a stomach ache you know just tell the girls she didn't feel good and she'll catch up with them another time jesse leaves to go have dinner with the girls and carrie starts rearranging the apartment and you know fixing the furniture which by furniture i mean they have beach chairs set up instead of a couch she comes up with this brilliant idea that she's going to take the curtain rod down from the windowsill in the bathroom and pretend like she doesn't know how to fix it in order to get Austin to come over and fix it. That way she gets to spend a little bit more time with him. Austin ends up coming over with his toolbox and he realizes it's just a curtain rod down and he fixes it one, two, three. And Carrie is kind of embarrassed and pretends like, oh, if I had known it was that simple, I don't, I wouldn't have bothered you. He says it's no problem and Carrie kind of tells him that she was listening to him play piano and she found it really interesting and he kind of throws it back in her face that she had called it obnoxious earlier and she's totally embarrassed and tries to kind of throw the blame on Jesse saying he was calling it obnoxious and that's just the word she had in her head when she was talking about it with him earlier. She tells him that she thinks it's really cool that he can play two instruments and that she's actually really interested in getting to learn more about jazz. So he offers to let her borrow some CDs. So he leaves the apartment and the door is left open and Jesse comes wandering back in. Carrie is not happy that he's back because she thinks he's going to embarrass her in front of Austin. And he says he just forgot his wallet and she kind of tries to rush him out. But before she can, Austin returns. Carrie introduces Austin and Jesse to each other, and she tells Jesse that Austin is the one that's been playing the piano music that they've been hearing from their apartment. And Austin brings the CDs over, and Jesse kind of almost blows Carrie's cover by saying, you know, since when are you into jazz? And Carrie gives him a death stare that kind of tells him, if you say one more thing, I will kill you. And he picks up on it, luckily for Carrie, or maybe luckily for Jesse, because she definitely would have killed him. But anyway, Austin says that he's on his way to the mall, and if Jesse wants, he'll give him a ride. And Carrie jumps at the chance to spend more time with Austin, to which Jesse says, I thought you weren't feeling good. And she blows it off and says, you know, I'm feeling a lot better, so let's all just go to the mall. They get to Salem Place, and the girls from Ballistics meet up with them, and they're kind of poking fun at Carrie for, you know, looking all flirty and smiling at Austin, and they kind of say to Carrie, aren't you going to introduce us to your new friend? And Carrie introduces them, you know, hesitantly, and 
Austin sees a girl that apparently he had a date with and he tells Jesse and Carrie to have a good time with their friends and he will see them later. And he goes up to this girl and hugs her and kiss her. And Carrie is not too happy about this. Meanwhile, we go to the police academy, it looks like, where Bo Brady is training to be a cop. And it's kind of nice to see where that all began because I've only known Bo Brady as a cop. I started watching the show and Peter Reckle was in the role. And that's not the case here. It's Bo Brady, but it is being played by an actor named Robert Kevler Kelly, who I think is doing a pretty good job in the role. Um, I know he wasn't well liked by many of the actresses on the show. And, you know, there's all these rumors online and you don't really know what happened. But from what I've read, he was difficult to get along with. And we'll just leave it at that. It's interesting because just in these two episodes alone, it's characters that I know and that I kind of grew up with. But it's not the faces that I know and grew up with. So it's interesting to see a different take on these characters. Bo kind of seems to be frustrated with the whole academy aspect of the job, and he doesn't really want to participate in the role-playing, and the class is being taught by Shane Donovan, who was hugely popular in a super couple with Kim Brady in the 80s, and I'll say the early 90s. He's in a wheelchair, though, and I don't really know why he's in a wheelchair. I'm going to assume maybe he was shot, or stabbed or some kind of accident i know he used to be a spy but apparently he's a cop now because he's teaching the police academy so shane has Bo participate in a role-playing situation that has to do with there being a hostage and Bo kind of flies off the handle and does his own thing not listening to any of the critiques or procedures that Shane is telling him that he must do in order to safely get the hostages out. Bo ends up taking the situation into his own hands and he swings the door open and is squirted with red paint all over his shirt which is supposed to signify blood I guess and Shane kind of says you see you did it wrong and now you're dead. Bo ends up apologizing to Shane and admitting that he should have listened to what he told him. And he ends up telling Shane that he thinks he's doing a really good job teaching at the academy and that the rest of the potential police officers think so as well. And that kind of gives Shane something, you know, positive to think about because he seems to be really down about the fact that he's in a wheelchair at the moment. And that's pretty much it for the storyline in the episode. We pick up next in the actual police station and where we left off... Roman was telling Jack that he needed to convince him why he thought he was the right guy to go on the stakeout for this reality show that's being proposed. Jack is nowhere to be seen now, and this is why I think I missed some scenes in the last episode. I'm just going to assume that Jack convinced Roman because just this whole stakeout reality show thing, it just seems like a plotline that Jack would be involved in, so I'm just going to assume he convinced Roman. We now have Roman in the station with Molly, who seems to have decided she's going to 
tell the police what this professor had done to sexually harass her. And we get a lot of answers in this episode about what's going on. A lot of the things with the storyline that I was confused about in the previous episode kind of get answered here. Like, I now know the professor's name, so we can refer to him by name, and that is Gavin Newworth. Meanwhile, we go to Gavin's office, where Tanner apparently has shown up and is now beating up Gavin, punching him in the face, screaming at him about what he did to Molly, and again, scenes I must have missed from the previous episode, I now know that Tanner's mother committed suicide, and apparently she used to work for Professor Newworth, and she had left a note explaining why she had to take her own life, saying she was abused by someone, but she'd never named names, and Tanner must have put the pieces of the puzzle together and decided that Gavin was the reason why his mother committed suicide. Back at the police station, Roman thinks that maybe Molly would feel more comfortable talking to a woman about what happened to her, and he offers to have Marlena come in and talk to her and listen to her confession of what went on between her and Dr. Newworth. Just as Roman is about to leave to go call Marlena to come in to talk to Molly, he's interrupted by one of his officers named Officer Schofield, Brian Schofield actually, and he tells Roman there's a disturbance at the college that he's going to go check out, and he sees Molly, and he sees that she's upset, and he kind of asks her if everything's okay, and she says yes, and Right there, I'm like, how do they know each other? You know, are they friends? Are they related? I'm not really understanding that relationship. But Officer Schofield goes to the college and breaks up Tanner and Gavin and their little fight. And Gavin wants to press charges for being attacked out of nowhere by Tanner. And it turns out Tanner and Brian Schofield are brothers. And this is something I didn't know. So that was a little bit of a omg moment for me and now it makes sense why brian was so concerned for molly because that's his little brother's girlfriend i think i'm not really sure if they're official yet but it kind of came full circle once i realized that they were brothers and that wasn't necessarily a shocking moment for the show it just was something i had just found out so it was just an entertaining revelation for me but Anyway, back at the police station, Molly's talking to Marlena, and she basically explains how Gavin promised her entry into some nursing program, and that he was going to help her, and somehow she ended up on some getaway with him to a cabin, and he flirted with her, and eventually, you know, touched her inappropriately, and tried to force himself on her. Thankfully, he didn't succeed in raping her, and she got away, and now she has decided she's going to report it to the police. Marlena comforts her and tells her she's very brave for deciding to come forward, and she thinks that it might be smart for Molly to make a statement to the press about the situation, because he's such a well-known figure in the community that that might sway what people think about the story if he gets to the media first and kind of puts his own twist on things. 
So Molly's hesitant at first, and she doesn't really want the whole community to know what happened to her. She had a hard enough time even coming to the police station to report it just to Roman. But when Marlena kind of tells Molly that he may plead to a lesser charge and get off scot-free with this, I think Molly kind of makes up her mind that she's going to go to the spectator and tell them her story so that they can print it and have him face the consequences of what he tried to do so that he can't do it to another girl. Back at Gavin's office, Brian refuses to arrest Tanner for attacking him, and Gavin pretty much threatens Brian that he'll have his badge for this and he'll never work on the police force again. Gavin is taken to the hospital by his co-workers and maybe backup police officers to kind of tend to his injuries that he received from Tanner beating the crap out of him. And Brian kind of assures Tanner that he'll deal with whatever consequences there is that he has to deal with for not arresting him. Brian goes back to the police station and he informs Roman of what went on and why he didn't arrest Tanner. And Roman kind of, you know, flies off the hinges about him not following procedure and doing the right thing. And Brian kind of decides in that moment that he did do the right thing and taking care of his family means more to him than being a cop. So he willingly surrenders his badge and his gun and he goes to be there for his family. Back at the Spectator, Molly has told Julie everything that's been going on, and Julie feels really guilty because she and Molly are really close. I think Molly's living at her penthouse, and she wishes that she could have been there more for Molly, and Molly kind of assures her that, you know, everything's okay, you know, she's doing the right thing now, and Julie owns the Spectator, which is something I didn't know, but she assures Molly that they're going to print it and it's going to be in the morning paper the next day. Tanner shows up at the Spectator looking for his father, who is Vern, which I did not know. I, I guess I never knew Vern's last name, so I never kind of put it together. Vern Schofield, Brian Schofield, Tanner Schofield. Truthfully, I didn't know Tanner's last name either, so I wouldn't have piece together that he was his son but Tanner finds Vern and he tells him everything he found out about his mother's death and how Gavin was responsible for it and it's a really sad moment just the look of realization on Vern's face when he realizes that Gavin was responsible for his wife's death is just it's just heartbreaking and the two hug and they kind of comfort each other and back in Julie's office you know Julie tells Molly that she's really proud of her and she gets to work on the interview to get the story going for Molly's confession and Molly sits in the chair with a look of relief and that's where the episode ends so this is another episode that was written by Sherry Anderson because she was the head writer at the time and I have to say, good job, Sherry. This was a really entertaining episode. I found out a lot of things I didn't know, and I got a lot of questions answered that I had from the previous episode, and it was just a really 
really enjoyable time. It was funny. It was sad. There was a little bit of action with the fight scenes. So, you know, all in all, it was a great up. So that's about it for this week's episode. And um, if you'd like to find the podcast, it's on SoundCloud. You can search Sands Through the Hourglass, a Days of Our Lives podcast. I'm currently waiting on iTunes to approve the podcast so that it can be found on there. And in the meantime, if you want to tweet me any questions, comments, concerns regarding the podcast, you can find me on Twitter at SoRidic, S-O-R-I-D-I-C, and you can email me at blueboy85 at gmail.com. That's B-L-U-B-O-Y 85 at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you guys and we can talk about anything you want regarding the show. In the meantime, have a great day and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.